as an image type, we can have an idea of actually being emotional in some sense, but there's a huge difference <laughs> between this and what comes up from here. You know, it, it's really profound to me that there was a time at which I actually discovered there's an autonomous heart organism within myself that is, that is, you know, apart from all the stuff that I imagine myself to be. Welcome to another episode of What It's Like to Be You. I am Josh Levine, your host. Today, my guest is Nicholas Wilkins, and this show was just amazing to record. It was pretty mind-blowing for me from the point of view of just learning about what it's really like to be a two. I've never heard a two speak with such a high degree of precision about their own inner world. And from a place of having worked through enough of his stuff to be able to see it with very high fidelity. One orienting idea about type two for the newbies out there is that type two, the passion of type two is pride. And what I mean by that is not a sense of like, I'm so cool or a sense of taking pride in the work I do or anything like that. That's more three territory. The pride of two is more, I'm here for you. And any aspect of myself that doesn't conform to a self image of being perfectly selfless, altruistic, offering everything from pure motivations of love that is suppressed out of my consciousness. And I can only see the part of me that is loving. And it takes the virtue of the two, humility, to welcome and see and accept all of the other parts of me, which my, my ulterior motives and my shadow and all these kinds of things. One other distinction that's going to be important for this episode, if you're new, is the idea of object relations. And I'm not going to give a very long thing on this, but the fundamental principle is that object relations is the most basic arrangement of the ego structure as the Enneagram defines it. There are three types of object relation, attachment, frustration, and rejection. Basically, the, why it's called object relations is when you're a baby, you, the subject, have a relationship with the primary objects of your life, usually the parents or other adult figures that are taking care of you. And that relationship between subject object <clears throat> can take on certain qualities or affects. One is attachment, one is frustration, one is rejection. Attachment is the fundamental idea that I am trying to adapt myself to get mom or dad's attention. Frustration is mom, you're kind of not doing it right. Dad, you're not doing it right. And if only I push the right button or convince you or squirm around enough, then maybe you'll do it right. And rejection is, is basically um, I need something from mom, but she's not doing it for me correctly. And so instead of being frustrated, I basically just cauterize myself from needing it at all. It's like I, I cease to believe that what I what I once needed is on the table. And so I fundamentally surrender to a reality in which it's not available. Type two is a rejection type. And uh, that piece of the Enneagram has always been interesting and a bit of a head scratcher for me because it seems to me that they're sort of adapting in an attachment way to uh, going out and meeting other people. And so that's something that we explore a lot in this conversation and it was really, really revealing. Nicholas has some really amazing stories about this, how he woke up to these patterns in himself. And I think this conversation really speaks for itself. So I'm gonna leave it here. And without further ado, please welcome my friend, Nicholas. Welcome everyone to another interview. I'm here with my new friend, Nicholas. And Nicholas is a humanistic depth psychologist who lives in Germany. 
He's been exploring the Enneagram for 14 years and he uses it in his work with clients. And I think I'm just going to leave it there actually for now because we have a lot to dig into. So welcome. Okay. Hi. My favorite question up front is, what's it like to be introduced? It's always a little funny because the orientation points you mentioned are a direction, but they never represent who I am in total, and that's fine. And so I'm just glad people know kind of broadly um, what to expect. Yeah, cool. So mm -hmm. when I, um, I started doing the show not too long ago, and you reached out to me on Facebook and said basically, hey, I've been working with the Enneagram for 14 years. I'm a psychologist. I can talk about being a two in high resolution. And um, our first conversation was amazing. And you delivered <laughs> on your promise. So I'm really excited to, <laughs> to dig in and things about being a two as a rejection type and all these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But I'd love to start with just can you share with us your Enneagram origin story, including all of the all of the the ways that you thought you were other types and how you discovered you were two and everything all of the whole story? All right. Okay. Um, I discovered the Enneagram within a course for nonviolent communication, which is an approach to foster human connection within oneself and to other people, and actually find and create intelligent solutions for differences. And um, those people had my trust. So I was open to an approach that upfront would have seemed to me like something pigeonholing people and reducing them to certain stereotypes. And I wouldn't have liked that if, if there wouldn't have been that background. And on one afternoon in California, I had this experience of um, being pointed out in certain qualities people have and differences. And, and it was for the first time that I actually could be, believe that people could see the world and themselves from a different angle. Um, up until then, I would have probably thought that they were lying if they didn't have the same problems as I had. You know, I had uh, this, that's, I had that's this good. idea and this image <laughs> that actually everybody has these image problems and everybody has, you know, everybody hides behind a mask and they don't really show up for who they actually are. And within my teenage years, I had been a fan of a radio show uh, that's local to the area around my hometown where people could call in the night from 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. and talk about everything anonymized. And that was something that to me seemed real. And, um, and, and this realness was that that's where I got the juice from. And actually, I assumed everybody is actually looking for that. And, <laughs> and, and, but they all nev never admit to it. And for with the Enneagram, it was uh, plausible for me that there could be 
other type structures that actually create a different experience of oneself and the world. So that was the beginning. And I have a long journey of switching between perspectives on my type. And I have arrived on two, uh, around two years ago. And um, I think in the beginning, I thought it was six, which is my hat fix. Um, then I thought four for a while and then five. And I stuck with five for about 11 years or something. That's on a long, that's a long time. That's a long time. Right. Yeah. And, and then, uh, the, the, the two came up, uh, within a therapy session where I, where I read a section from Suzanne Stabile's book to a client of mine about the two. And when the client left uh, the practice, I, I started to weep because she had, Suzanne Stabile had, had described the experience with, uh, she's a to herself, so that's got something to do with it probably, but she did it with a compassion and with a clarity that I hadn't heard anywhere else. And, um, and the funny thing is also that from the perspective of my mistypings, um, when I looked at the Enneagram and how all these different types felt to me, the two was the one that I, <laughs> which is the tell. Uh, I, I didn't think this is a type. I thought the two is what humans are actually like. Wow. Interesting. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. I relate to this actually being a three from the three point. Okay. View. Totally get it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, so I I couldn't get my head around what the two structure would be apart from what I took to be basic description of human nature. <laughs> this is so good. Yeah, I totally okay. get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, the mistyping has an influence on what you think the value of the enneagram could be. Because if you think yeah. what what the whole time, I always thought, okay, uh, if I am a five, there are certain aspects of it that that work, and the Enneagram can elucidate that and can describe who I am. And I think the way it did that was to describe the rejection dynamic. Okay. And. Apart from that, it's not very useful or not that useful. And only when I discovered that I am a two, I could see the, the whole power of it. Mm. I could feel it. Because then I could believe, okay, if two is actually a type structure, then it's not a description of basic human nature, but just an aspect of it. And then the other types are really, really different from that. And, mm. and that is basically the journey that, that you have, that I went through towards something where I could see, okay, if this is a type structure, what is basic human nature then? You know, the, and yeah. I cannot answer that question, but uh, that's, sure. that's open, yeah. Was that question disorienting for you or is it even now? The question, what human nature is? Yeah. Like, let me say it differently. I, this point you're making, mm -hmm. 
I think is really profound from the point of view of when we discover our type, mm -hmm. in a sense, that that itself is what reveals that typology is real. <laughs> because it... Exactly, yeah. Yeah, because it cuts out from the, to use a cliche, sort of the pie of human consciousness, like your own slice. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, wow. Yes. It's actually yes. possible to be another type. Yes. Where I totally relate to what you're saying when I... You know, even at, even in the days after I discovered I was a three, um, still I think sneakily had a suspicion that everyone actually related to precisely my experience and was really hiding themselves in a certain way, like uh -huh. I had been. Uh -huh. Um, but then you know to talk to an eight, for example, and just to realize that that's just not their issue, <laughs> you know, at all. <laughs> like it's like they're a whole universe yes. away. Um, it's fascinating, and then that question of basic human nature becomes this is not an enneagram question i'm just curious from your point of view does that did that become disorienting yeah. no not really because there are a couple of things that i learned from nonviolent communication that still help me orient myself today okay. and uh, there are a couple of other um frameworks that help among them integral theory and various developmental theories that that kind of frame how people relate to their basic human needs and values. And I think those needs and values are something that are that is universal, um, independent from type structure. Sure. But the way we approach them, the way we relate to our needs and values, the way we, what we do to meet them or to, to protect what we have, those are, can be very different. Yeah. And diverse. Yeah. So that orientation still stands. And discovering too helped me in a sense to wake up from bullshitting myself that uh, this is the only way things can be. And and there are a couple of other things that I stopped I had to stop bullshitting myself about because yeah. those are uh, core to the two type structure. Like what? Well, I couldn't convince myself anymore that everything I do is just out of selfless love. Uh -huh. And that was really hard because um, because believing in that image has a very stabilizing effect. And yeah when you stop believing when you notice that this is bullshit or this is just a partial truth then the stability falls away for a while and when i discovered my type and i started weeping i actually didn't stop until the end of the weekend and that was about three or two, four days and i was shaking because of this wow uh, shit, I don't know what, <laughs> uh, where's my foundation now? Yeah. And um, another aspect was that I had convinced myself I am in a way so special and apart that people need to be special themselves in order to be able to help me or nourish me. Right. And in a sense, that is still true because my 
sensitivity to what's going on is sometimes very challenging to people. And within the framework of my own family, I've been very difficult sometimes to to get along because I mean I on on the one hand I get along very well with people, but that's within my type structure. And when I want to break out of that, I confront people with um, with what I observe and what I don't like, and um, and that can be very challenging because it's usually something that uh, people would have to start reflect on themselves so they can give me an answer that is actually um, uh, sufficient. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's stuff like uh, you you looked you looked uh, satisfied there, but I don't think you really were. What's actually going on? So, uh, you know, uh, probing yeah, yeah. questions that that have to do with my six fix where I start to doubt or I express my doubts about what's actually going on and try to get a clear uh, perception of the situation. And um, yeah, so I, I need somebody who's able to meet me there. And, but that played into the two structure in the sense that my needs are somehow special and people need to go way longer than usual in order to meet me. And yeah. there was a certain kind of pride in that too. You know, um, I am able to provide that for other people, but they are not able to provide that for me. And there's a profound sadness in that, which is also something that came up when I realized it, because it's very isolated in a way. Yeah. This is, this is, we're getting into the territory of two as a rejection type. I just want to name that. Mm -hmm. And real quick, right. can you just, can you frame up your whole typing? Uh, social yeah. self-pres, go ahead. I'm social self-pres, right? Uh, two wing three is probably yeah. the heavier wing. Mm -hmm. And uh, the trifix is two, six, nine. Yeah, okay. And so this idea of being a rejection type, this is something that was really fascinating to me in our original conversation around maybe just to frame up my own point of confusion because I think it might be instructive is it's like how is the two not an attachment type <laughs> it's like they're trying to get in mm -hmm. there with people you know what I mean and mm -hmm. and and there's and they're reading needs and stuff like that in the in a way that I sort of think on the surface that I can relate to you know mm -hmm. I'm also reading people and this is partly mm -hmm. the social lens this is also being an image type mm -hmm. and being sensitive mm -hmm. to how people are reading me and all mm -hmm. that stuff but mm -hmm. some distinctions you made around, like, actually, I'd love for you to just, your language is really precise about this. So I'd love to just hand mm -hmm. the mic over to you. How do you, how do you experience being a rejection type? Well, the, the interesting paradox I perceive about too, is that um, the whole awareness circles around love while actually not being able to connect uh-huh which also could be construed as attachment to disconnect and i've been i've been wondering about this too you know yeah. uh, especially when i see my trifix with uh, six and nine in it and okay there is a lot of attachment in it yeah but the difference is as i see it is when as a two 
I relate to people, I focus on where is the juice? Where is the vulnerability in the other person? What can I offer to that vulnerability? Yeah. And it gets really interesting when I meet other twos because (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't doesn't work there, you know, Uh because they do the same thing and they um, project also an image of somebody who's really interested in love and in, in connecting to my stuff and at the same time not being really there. Or as I like to put it, there is a wall uh, that that only becomes apparent when you actually try to get close to the two. When you get to a certain close uh, closeness, then you then something shuts off, and there's a numbness to it also. And um, the numbness has to do with um, well, at least I can speak for myself with being scared of the experience of not having any resonance. So when I, if I were to open my heart, if I were to express what's inside and what's vulnerable within me, uh, the expectation is there's nobody there, nobody home. I talk, I express, I uh, relate and the other person is practically not there and in my within my inner work i've come so far as to recognize that that must have been my experience as a child and i kind of i must have decided that i won't go there anymore Mm -hmm. yeah and and rather focus on serving the vulnerabilities of the other person and and letting warmth and love flow there. And the secret uh, hope is that the flow of love will be reflected back to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a paradox, I think, I just want to put my finger on here because it's like this this very preciously held desire for love and connection and also the absolute uh i'm gonna use the word suspicion it's just Mm -hmm. not strong enough though you know that that it could exist at all it's like this is this is part of the rejection dynamic i think is not just not actually believing that it's on the table exactly <laughs> but but there's this there's this funny hopefulness or something in the two or at least it's it seems that way it's like this is part of the two's <laughs> automaticity it's like i still go out to you anyway i don't believe that it's possible but i'm gonna just go exactly. out to you anyway <laughs> yes 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 that's the paradox and in, within my internal space i like to call this the hope machine <laughs> okay yeah, yeah. Makes and sense. the hope machine is is sucking up every every part of hint or evidence that could point to this connectionally this could actually happen this connection but it's more like i 
gather evidence and evidence and evidence, but I don't start to open up myself to actually be able to experience it right. until I become consciously aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. So up until the point where I think, I mean, becoming aware of my, my type structure was very important for this because without grasping this, this paradox, it was actually not possible to talk about this. Mm -hmm. I, you know, if you had asked me, so what's your relationship to love and connection? Then I would have said, I'm all for it. I'm the expert. <laughs> <laughs> and I recall, uh, you know, I, I am in a long uh, process with a woman that touched me very deeply at this, yeah. at this spot without me having no clue how she did it. And I, and the journey is about finding that out too. And I recall a point at which she confronted me and I, I really, I actually said, you know, I, I, I think I'm the expert. I know how this works. I, uh, I know how you address needs and how you uh, try to figure out, you know, using nonviolent communication, for example, uh, how can we resolve differences and all that. But I overlooked the, the difficulty I have with receiving it. Mm -hmm. And also people who are in that position of trying to show me their love can feel very insecure because of that, because the resonance doesn't happen. And then they do not sense that they actually arrived here. Uh -huh. And when that creates insecurities, my type structure can react with pushing in more love and, you know, pouring it more. And, wow. and it's all like a desperate attempt to create this reflection that I was referring to. It's you, you, pour out love and then something comes back yeah and what's and, the thing that comes back or sorry i don't mean to interrupt if you're on the yeah, yeah well but but that's the point what comes back is hopefully uh -huh. the same kind of love that i poured out yeah with the with the advantage from the point of view of the touch structure the advantage is I don't have to notice my own pain around this 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 issue. Okay. It's it circumvents my the need for actually opening up. And that's what twos avoid. Mm -hmm. Okay, they avoid to to confront the the hopelessness and despair about not really believing that love and connection are actually possible. Yeah, it's, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, sounds horrifying. It's horrifying. It is, and and therefore the it can be. It can feel like an addiction to love other people. It can feel like, uh, oh, I just wanna, I just wanna get to the juice. I just wanna see your sweet vulnerability and cater to that and and help you discover it and help you love it too because that way i can feel the juice without having to go into my own despair yeah, yeah. this brings a lot of clarity to why i mean just speaking to the 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 difficulty of receiving someone else's love it's like 
if someone if someone pierces through <laughs> that membrane or image or whatever you would call it that protects that inner space um it just feels like even the slightest touch of that would be overwhelming from the point of view of um i mean it just shatters the entire world view that this is impossible you know what i'm saying and exactly yeah not only that but also to get through that membrane itself you have to push through the um what uh there's some word that it's like it's like schematically almost here's where i'm at it's like there's this there's this very deeply unconsciously held belief that this is impossible someone pushes through the membrane to get inside and runs by necessity runs up against that pain that hopelessness and so the very act of someone else loving you triggers that hopelessness and and to get past it um you have to kind of <laughs> i don't know what like what's it like what's it like for you if someone when someone gets past it or the the process <laughs> the process of someone even trying i love that question <laughs> um i've i've run into big trouble time and again when that happened because mm. The, the unconsciously held belief that love and connection are impossible also protects me from feeling that despair. Yeah. And when somebody manages, however that happened, and sometimes or most of the time, I really didn't notice it or I, I couldn't actually grasp it. And that was disorienting too. But when that happens, what I need is attention, awareness, empathy for the pain. It's like, okay, now you have penetrated the membrane. Mm -hmm. Now I am actually in touch with what's behind it. And now this is like an explosion of feeling of, of uh, anger, of disappointment, of yearning, of sometimes lost too mm -hmm. and where where do i get the space where this can be held yeah and the instinctive reaction would be please uh help me hold that uh -huh. to the other person sure uh -huh. who, who actually managed to penetrate the membrane yeah so this would be the first person that i would address with that and usually they were not prepared for that. <laughs> 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 so that was really tricky because, you know, it was, again, this disappointment of, okay, now you see me, now you, now I actually get to feel myself. And again, there's no space for me to, to unpack this wow. and to actually yeah. discover it and feel it and name it. And, um, mm -hmm. and this has been, the, the the theme within my own therapy that I do mm -hmm. for my own mm -hmm. development uh, where where slowly this space this conscious space could be expanded um, so that I can do that myself uh-huh okay that I am not 
uh, dependent on the person who penetrates the membrane to also hold the space for everything that's behind it. Uh -huh. But that's been a difficult journey, as you can imagine. I can imagine, yeah. I just want to name a couple things I'm that I'm mm -hmm. resonating with as an image type. Mm -hmm. For me, there's also, like, if someone penetrates through, it's a, a different quality of image or energy that I'm projecting that someone has to, has to kind of penetrate through to see into the gooey, exposed, single heart nerve that if someone touches it, it's like, it feels like some infant part of me that mm -hmm. um, that's so sensitive. I mean, it's more sensitive than anything else in me. I mean, if you think about exactly. like a parts work system, it's like this is the, I don't know, four month old baby or something that is, it's just so utterly raw. And, and I also relate to if someone shatters <laughs> through the image and then exposes that and then there I am, if they don't have the capacity to be with me in that state, then it actually re-triggers <laughs> the whole type structure. Yes. And then exactly. the whole, like, what was shattered reconstitutes and glues right. itself back together. And then there exactly. I am. I mean, and it may, might take an hour because having been shattered takes a minute to reconstitute. Um, mm -hmm. But it almost feels like there's something just absolutely existential and essential that kind of wants to happen there from the point of view of that relationship. And what I mean, so and I'm curious to hear your point of view from this as a, uh, as a therapist. Mm -hmm. It's like, it kind of feels like, yeah, on the one hand, there is the relationship I have to that part. Mm -hmm. There's also the, the continued disappointment that someone else can't be there with me while that part is triggered or can't be with that part. And mm -hmm. I've had conversations with, for example, other coaches or therapists who I've gotten really close to as friends and um, it's this funny thing that happens in coaching Co coach, coach, friendships are very mm -hmm. funny because, yes. you know, sometimes yeah. we accidentally slip into coach mode with each other and we're kind of open yeah. to it in a certain sense, yes. or at least maybe here's a way to put it, making this about me now. I'll go ahead and keep going for a second. Um, <laughs> it's like as a three, I have this image of, oh, I'm a person who does inner work. And so if someone presents to me like, a, a coaching prompt then in that moment if I'm not watchful of myself I sort of slip into like oh I'm a good I'm a good patient mode and then boom this thing is shattered what's happened in a couple of situations is <clears throat> um, if the person keeps pushing and I've been and I've been shattered um, then it actually ends up being trust destructive for me and yeah you know and I've had to have conversations yeah. with people where if, if that happens, if I go there, then I need yeah. you to be, I need you to pump the brakes and just like, hold me. Yes. You know? Yes. And so yes. there's something about like, there's some <laughs> uh, deep therapeutic point I'm trying to make here around on the one hand, there's the relationship I have with my, their own part, but there's also the hope or the, the potential, the therapeutic potential of having someone else be there with me too. Yes. I, I would like to respond with an image I like to use for for these kind of processes where intense emotions come up and 
there's this sort of holding capacity that we have for what's coming up. And this capacity is not fixed. I think it's both subject to development, it can grow. And according to our daily state, it can vary as well. And when somebody penetrates that, that membrane, as we said, and probes into the both juicy and vulnerable and sometimes undefined stuff that comes up, uh-huh. Then there is a there's a limitation of what we can digest at a time. Yeah. And if somebody doesn't respect that limitation, and by respect I also mean is aware of, mm-hmm. you know, I I've been in the situation you've been you you just talked about, yeah. both as a coach and a coachee, uh-huh. uh, where where I went beyond that threshold and pushed and pushed because I wanted to make a point or I wanted to get things clearer. And uh, I have also been on the other side where where there was an agenda in in my counterpart Mm -hmm. and that went beyond what I was able to to digest at the moment. Mm -hmm. So, and the digestion is when when the actual real emotions come up and i i say that within the framework of an image type because as an image type we can have an idea of actually being emotional in some sense but there's a huge difference between this <laughs> uh-huh. and what comes up from here you yeah. know yeah. It, it's really profound to me that there was a time at which i actually discovered there's an autonomous heart organism within myself amazing that is that is you know apart from all the stuff that i imagine myself to be oh my god totally yeah it's a great point. yeah that's a beautiful yeah it's beautiful language for it and and one one instance where this came up was uh with birthdays mm-hmm. i have a lot of trouble organizing my birthdays mm-hmm. because birthdays I don't have to offer anything on birthdays other than myself. So within the framework of rejection time, we can say, this is a, I I don't know what to do with that. Um, (laughs) And the last time I was talking about this to a very good friend of mine, and he he is a therapist as well. So we have that kind of relationship you were talking about. And, And he wanted to be, with me on my birthday and he pushed me to actually get clear on what i want there and he was so charming because he started with okay so if i hear you correctly you you would actually want to use the motto i'm not there on your birthday (laughs) yeah and i I noticed okay my heart says yes to that yeah yeah that would be great i'm not there i don't want to be there so (laughs) And and from there, I could actually feel into how it feels like to to be valued and cherished for being myself, and that people are willing to come just because of that. And what I've discovered throughout the years is that this is so scary to me because on my birthdays, when people do not come or have 
every, any kind of reason for not coming, it, feel, it really feels like a rejection from outside and I'm vulnerable. I cannot protect myself anymore because I cannot tell myself there's something else going on. I make this immediately about me. And I don't want to experience that. And that's why I don't like birthdays. And the emotion that comes up on those instances is way different from what I usually experience. It's it's raw and it's intense. And there are, you know, there are aspects to it that I, I don't know how to name. And uh, so it's it's overwhelming. And in within yeah. a therapeutic context, it's very important to keep track of that, to keep track of how much is the conscious awareness right now able, willing, and ready to digest. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a limit to it. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay, slightly different question, but similar topic. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I'm curious about how you relate to as a two and as a two in a as a two therapist is mm -hmm. how do you experience the two impulse or compulsion you might say to go in and sort of get be inside the psychological space of other people um and let's see i'm the question i'm really trying to ask is um what do you need to watch in yourself to mm -hmm. be careful of mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's there's one issue um, around being a therapist that helped me a lot with that, and that is, uh, I'm trying to get the 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 English word. I have the German in mind. Um, it's like you have to get an assignment from somebody. You have to have they have to have a give you. They have to tell you what they want. Mm -hmm. And this has to be conscious because when the, the client doesn't tell me what this is about, my type structure agenda might take over. Mm -hmm. And then the only thing that I care about is where the juice is. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. So I meet this person as a therapist, I get the permission to explore the psychological space. Mm -hmm. And if there's, a, if there's not a clear agenda on the part of the client, I'll use my own agenda as orientation. Yeah. And that is to get as much juice out of it as possible. And what that do you mean by means juice? To, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, when you see people's vulnerabilities, they you, you see their, in some sense, you see their beauty. Yeah. Because this fragility, this, this, it, it matters how we treat each other. It matters whether we are careful, whether we are honest, whether we are mindful of the needs that everybody has, that matters. And I've, I'm thinking about somebody asked me, 
you know, we are vulnerable in spaces where it makes a difference whether we are treated with love or not. Mm -hmm. And this connection that comes up that is possible when, when uh, I see your vulnerability and I notice that the way I treat you matters to you. That, that nourishes my heart. Hmm. This mattering nourishes my heart. And uh, okay, I, yeah. I, I put, it, put it next to the alternative of, um, of a world where people are numb and stabilize themselves by, by cutting things off, by dissociating. And in this world, this doesn't matter so much because people are numbed off and you cannot reach them. Mm -hmm. Okay. But this connection where it matters how I treat somebody, that gives me juice. That gives me nourishment. Yeah. And that's what I'm looking for. But yeah. the thing, when I don't have the agenda on, on my screen, what the other person is actually here for and what the limitations are of what we just talked about of this space, how much of themselves can they actually bear? Then yeah. <laughs> I might, you know, I might go somewhere where they are not prepared to go. And yeah. I, that's what uh, I have to watch. And what happens when, I mean, I, I don't know a lot of people that have the clarity or courage to be able to say what they need. Right. And that is a that is an issue yeah. but i've come to i've come to learn how to discern that there are unconscious agendas and there are people who have no agenda or who are not ready for the work mm -hmm. and i discern that by feeling tension within myself when when you come into my practice and i notice there is an issue i can feel it through a, a certain kind of vital tension that mm -hmm. I can feel here in this space. Sure. And I might not know what it is. I, I usually don't, but I've come to trust this sense. Okay. Okay. And so when I tell people that I'm interested in why they are coming, then I also offer that it might be that they have no clue, but we can explore it together because according to my sense, there is something there. Mm. And mm -hmm. um, and there are times where this is not the case. So it's not just my projection of, ah, oh, there needs to be something so I can get to work. But uh, there are times in which people um, well, it, it's like it feels flat. It feels like um, there is no, they're good, or they're not interested, or their their aliveness is somewhere else uh -huh. on other topics or on practicing something. I mean, yeah. this can happen after a, a while, after a good deal of therapy, and then we come to a plateau, and then we notice, okay, what we've been talking about is kind of resolved, and what's going on now, and oh, it's actually fine, we can stop here. So... Those are the possibilities. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm talking about it, I have another answer to your question, what I need to watch. Yeah, okay. Um, 
sometimes, or in, especially in the beginning of my practice, I noticed how I tended to use people for for evidence for my hope machine. Wow. Okay. This is that sounds juicy. What do you mean? Okay. I mean, I I so somebody comes in and it's a different difficult situation and there's a huge there are a lot of traumatic backgrounds to it and I try to prove to myself that this is not a hopeless case. And I do that actually to soothe myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. if I don't manage to solve, resolve this case, whatever resolving means, but, mm -hmm. you know, helping this person, then maybe my own situation as a child was hopeless too. And that cannot be. And I, I cannot accept that. Oh, that's interesting. That's That's where you went. I was expecting it to be something like um, if you can't resolve it, then it means your 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 mechanism doesn't work. That's that's yeah. a step in between. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So my mechanism doesn't work and that. And therefore, um, I cannot expect anybody's mechanism to work. Yeah. Well, by mechanism, actually, what I'm meaning is... You mean the type structure? I, what I mean is your your intervention strategy. Like, okay. Which, by the way, I would... In this context, given type 2 type structure, it's like, that is you from the point of view of the type structure. Yes, yes, you know? exactly. <laughs> You're, you know? Yeah. I don't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's the yeah. heart center worthlessness feeling that... Exactly. Yeah. What? Who am I if that doesn't work? Right. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And and if that doesn't work, and that's I think behind the type structure uh -huh. is the is the experience of despair and hopelessness that I was talking about. Yeah. Um. And and you know, as a child, we don't have ideas about space and time and about change and about different circumstances. We, we don't know how to get different parents. We, we have to make, make this work how it is. And um, therefore, when something doesn't work, it feels like endless despair. And I think at the core of the type structure, it's always this. And I, I haven't thought it through for every type, but I find it a safe bet to say, okay, if my type structure fails, what what remains? That's an interesting question. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably where we get into a territory of being really present because then we can, okay, what comes up and what do we really have to deal with it when that fails? Um, have you ever had a moment where you felt truly in contact with the essential quality of love or connection or however, whatever word you'd put to it? Yes, I have. And I would like to, to answer with uh, two, two, 
versions of that. There's one version where where I have this <laughs> this this delusion of grandeur of of we could say being super Jesus. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, where I get a sense of of this this power of this power of love mm -hmm. that is really there. You know the type structure of two. What it does is it represses everything else. Uh -huh. So when twos talk about loving somebody and actually doing this out of selflessness, they are usually honest. Right. This is I love this point. Yeah. Yeah, they are yeah. honest because that's all they are aware of. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think in our initial conversation, I talked about a client who's a two where I could observe from a distance this this split between image and what he's actually doing totally. because he was he was um, suffering from a divorce and he was so disappointed that all his efforts for the family were not recognized mm -hmm. and and he was insisting that this was all safe, selfless and at the same time he came up with moral indignation about this not being reciprocated mm -hmm. you know in one half of the sentence he said the one thing and in the other half of the sentence he said the other yeah and i was like yeah what you know what what <laughs> are you talking about <laughs> don't you notice the contradiction and he didn't he really right. didn't he he yeah. was it was like a split uh and switching between the one and the other so what the type structure does, it focuses yourself on on the power of love and that fuels the hope machine that I was talking about. And yeah. you really you are really just connected to the impulse to serve and to nourish other people. That's all there is. And it's a beautiful state. Okay. It's something you can that's what I why I used the the, the word addiction. You can really be be intoxicated by that and uh, and then and with that state i can get delusions of grandeur where i have the idea okay uh, all the stuff that i learned and that i found to be effective with other people i will find the platform and i will uh, pour it out to the world and everybody will be happy and take it in and and this will be a merrier place to live so these things have come up and in yeah. some sense this can be used as a vision and it can you know it can be authentic it can lead to somewhere but it usually didn't because my insecurities about being disturbed in this image were too great to actually try something so it stayed it stayed that way that is one version and the other version i would say has happened when people really did see me and describe how they saw me in a way that encapsulated my vulnerability but also my strength hmm. mm -hmm. and that's that's man that's 
the reason to be here, I think. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing to hear that. And particularly after we had that whole conversation about what it takes for someone to penetrate through the exactly membrane. And yes. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I have my experience of you as a human being is that you have remarkable ego transparency. Like you have, uh, your you you have this beautiful language, and the the subject of your interior is object enough that you can sort of move it around and shape it and see and see it from other mm -hmm. angles. Mm -hmm. What helped you? What has helped you with that? How did you arrive there? I am forever grateful to Marshall Rosenberg, who mm -hmm. founded Nonviolent Communication, mainly yeah. because he he gave me so much courage to actually get transparent. Mm -hmm. um, he and uh, and and he comes from this stream of humanistic psychology, where others like Abraham Maslow or uh, Fritz Perls or Carl Rogers also come from. Yeah. And and the hope and the courage that I gained from him was however deep I go within myself, I may trust that there will be something reconciling coming up. Something that is helping me love myself more. And I mean by that, not, you know, flattering myself, but really loving myself in all the strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And and that is something that has been with me since then. And of course, in the first couple of years, that was more like a rumor to me. Mm -hmm. I really didn't know that this was true. I hope that he was right. And, you know, for, for a time, this was like kind of like a like a religion to me. Uh, you know, yeah, where yeah. I also was a, a little bit fundamentalistic and trying to persuade people to treat me this way. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. look here, there. this is, this is, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is how you need to treat me and um, other people too. <laughs> yes. And, and <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Real quick. That might, that might be a, a social self-pres thing too, or uh, in the sense of like, this is, these are the rules of engagement. This is how right. you do it. You know, yes. here are the Ten Commandments. Yes. I can present the tablets to you. This is what yes. it is. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so just to name yes. that, but go ahead. <laughs> yes, yes. It could be, yeah, it could be related to that. And it's, yeah. it, it, it's the hope is you deal with it and then I'll feel better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, this is an, a childish point of view, and it is what a child actually needs from a parent. Mm -hmm. You know, you deal with it, and I will feel better. Yeah. And, uh -huh. uh, and one way to phrase what psychotherapy can do for us is to become our own mothers and fathers. Mm -hmm to have the awareness that we would have needed from our parents for ourselves so we can treat it, treat ourselves this way. Yeah. And so nonviolent communication and this, this um, consciousness helped me a lot. And yeah. through the people who did that, 
I came to Ken Wilber and integral theory, and um, that helped me to understand differences better between levels of consciousness, but also between types. And the Enneagram came close to that because, you know, yeah. uh, Ken Wilber also talks about types and uh, as, as a fundamental metric of how to differentiate how people are. And, and understanding where people come from is helpful to me so that I do not take people's reactions personally and think that them not taking in what I have to offer is a reflection of my worth or value. Yeah. Um, so that helped too. And then I engaged in this program where I got my license as a therapist. Yeah. Uh -huh. And, and um, because of the humanistic background of this institute, I felt right at home. I had no struggle to feel be belonging there. I had uh, the sense of, okay, we are all working on the same thing here and we are more or less open to work with ourselves so we can become transparent to what's actually going on. And, um, and within that program, I also had my own therapy, which continues on till today with a psychoanalyst and uh, it's so amazing, you know, in the beginning, I was way more in the image and in my head yeah. about everything I was talking about. And throughout time, it was, it became possible and easier to just be with my spontaneous emotions while I was in the therapy setting. But that was, that was hard work to get there because in the beginning I was way too scared to do that. I wouldn't actually have known how to, you know, how to open the membrane so this can come out. Mm. That's a and, profound yeah. thing to say right, right there is the way that an image type and you, your, your language for it before was really profound too, just that, that there's an autonomous heart organ um, exactly. separate yes. from this um, very powerful filtration system that you have around. Yes. And actually not n n more than filtration, it's it actually shapes your emotional life is this image that you, the self-image yes. you have of yourself, right? And yes. so to, to get in contact with a present moment emotional process, like any of yes. the process-oriented therapies like parts work or yeah focusing or somatic based or whatever like to actually get in touch with what's quote-unquote really going on you know right. outside of the purview of that image that which is which yeah. is you know the way you constrain yourself um that feels like um a very powerful intervention point and it sounds like that was you experienced that in therapy doing that i did yeah and and my analyst she's very patient uh -huh. and very she, she never pushed for anything. She's curious. She, um, she also asked me whether, uh, what the parts of me are that do not trust her or that are actually thinking, what would she do if I were to come out, you know, beyond this filtration system? Wow. Uh, wow. If she were overwhelmed by that or somehow 
um, insulted or offended in some way. Uh -huh. And uh, and to be able to talk about that allows me to to just to be there without being vigilant of the result of of what I sh how I show up. Yeah. And this is probably a good description of an image type's proclivity is you're always yeah. vigilant. Yeah. Yes. You're always yeah. vigilant. And even as we are talking right now, I am vigilant, yeah, uh -huh. of, yeah, of how the people who will watch this, uh -huh. what kind of image they will create of me in their head and whether this could be dangerous for me. Yes. I have that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I figured. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> yeah. And and there is a perspective in which there there only needs to be one person who's hostile towards what I present here, mm -hmm. and the whole world feels hostile to me. It's like there's a yeah. all or nothing thing going on, uh -huh. and it's hard to differentiate, okay, how dangerous is this really? You know, how what what can I expect from just one person finding this stupid or or uh, arrogant or whatever might come up, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. But a part, a very young part in me doesn't differentiate that. It just yes. says, fuck, it's dangerous. I need to shut up and shut yeah. down, yeah. you know? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> Dude, I gotta say, it's amazing to me how much of this I'm relating to. It's like, I mean, the whole thing, the parts where you're speaking about specifically the two, um is a little more distant for me but i mean our type structures are overlapping in a pretty significant way uh -huh. also social yes self i also yes. have three not well i'm you know three nine six and you have all three yes you're bermuda adjacent yes. basically right as a exactly yeah. yes i'm a wobbly bermuda yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but man that whole thing of the the vigilance is such a beautiful word for this and it's a it's a word actually normally associated with six but words mm -hmm. have slippery meaning when we talk about the inner world mm -hmm. here. there is totally mm -hmm. a vigilance when it comes to mm -hmm. image types um and mm -hmm. i experience that in a very profound way and maybe even a you know um, a hyper vigilance with the social dominant thing because it's like exactly you know, i'm just reading like these very subtle micro expressions or even you know uh, a word and a sentence could be placed in a certain way and I can be like, does that person like me or not like me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that's all just happening at an unconscious level. Mm -hmm. And there's something interesting too about what happens in when when that settles down, like in moments of a conversation I've experienced here too, is just speaking with mm -hmm. you and being engrossed in the content and just experiencing your mm -hmm. um, energy and just being connected. Mm -hmm. It's like mm -hmm. some of that dies down and exactly, yes. enter a flow state. And that actually maybe is, is could be a definition of flow state for image types. It's like when yes. when you lose sight of the image. Yes. And yes, I like that. Goes away. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it feels like can I trust this flow enough yeah. that the rest doesn't matter anymore? Mm -hmm. And when that happens, then then I'm in a good connection. Right. In a situation like this, you know, where where there's a publicity to it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And when I'm just talking one on one, of course, the space that I have to um, survey is way more limited, and then it's easier to to 
to trust that this is okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have one more concrete question around image. This, this conversation is making me think about image slightly differently, or at least or have a more nuance to it. Like, I think the, the word image evokes like a, a picture or a portrait or a frame or something. And there's a, mm -hmm. there's a sense of an image type, just, just the language. Um, it's like, there's a way that I think somehow in my head, I've been trying to swear, like people have a specific image that they're trying to attend to or prop up or something like that. And partly yeah. what I'm getting is that there is specificity, but also the image, and maybe I'm speaking as a Bermuda type here, but there's a, there's a way that the image is not actually in high resolution or definition in my head, but there's a way that if someone, someone's response to me could, it's, it, let me say it this way. It's very easy for me to sense when someone's response to me um, uh, threatens the image or doesn't like the image. Um, but if you ask me to define the image, it'd be very difficult. Yes. And I'm curious if you relate to that. And it'd be interesting actually to speak. I'd love to do an image type panel actually, just to have that conversation. <laughs> that's, that's an yes. Goal. Yes, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Um, you. At one point, you you mentioned the, the question, how is two not an attachment type? Yeah. And um, part of my own answer to that is the, the image of two is specific to being loving. Yes, okay, that makes sense. And I don't think that's the case for three or four. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could be for three, but only within a context that values being loving. Yes, that's, yes. Okay. That shiftiness. Yeah, that makes sense. So the context dependency is is specific to attachment types. Yeah. And and for me, or I, I as a two experience this in every context. I there is not a context in which I would not want to appear as somebody who who is maybe let's say i mean i like the image of a psychotherapist because you know i provide something and i'm deep hopefully mm -hmm. and i uh there's some wisdom to it there's some interesting discourse there's heartfelt connection there's depth um and I can help other people to discover those qualities within themselves. Yeah, yeah. So my profession really matches the image quite well. Sure. But there are parts of my profession that, that don't work quite well with that image. Uh, for example, I need money. Okay. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, when patients forget to pay me and then they come and pay me and and i said oh come on i don't do this for the money and of course this is self-ironic because yeah i mean i fucking need it anyway but um uh, but it's not part of the image okay yeah and yeah. and and 
there are a couple of other things I need to write reports, for example, and I have a very hard time doing that because I do not get the juice out of that. Yeah. And 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 I also have to get into a position that might not be at all loving. It might be more judging and more, you know, how how do I think will this go? And maybe I could come to the conclusion that this is a hopeless case and I cannot help them and I do not want to deal with them, you yeah. know, because yeah. it's too difficult and uh, I have I have enough troubles in my private life. Mm-hmm. So all these things don't quite fit into the two image. Yes. And and I have trouble admitting those to myself. Mm-hmm. So in a moment when I'm overwhelmed or when I'm less conscious, uh, it might happen that I go along with stuff that I don't, I, I shouldn't go along with just because they cater to my two image. And yeah. so, so this is, I think is specific. And when I get into a different context, like a party, for example, then I do not adapt to what they find valuable. I only start to open up when the context in which what I have to offer is does appear as valuable, then I start to to talk. So uh, usually yes. parties are, you know, I do not like them usually because the inner life isn't the usual topic on parties. Yes. You know? <laughs> I mean there are there are people, there are hippies, for example, who go on to uh um tantric community events or something and they like that kind of stuff and that's where i like to be because then i don't have to uh work for this context to appear Mm -hmm. Uh, but if it isn't there i usually remain silent and um and just withdraw a little and uh okay i don't want to impose myself here yeah because that's of course this has happened too that i imposed myself and that wasn't pretty and uh so so i could you know juice up my image but um and feel secure within the social context yeah and so not to do that means i remain silent and and uh, wait till something comes up yeah although that itself is first of all social dominant awareness and also possibly mm-hmm. the Bermuda adjacent trifix. I mean, if, if, your, yes. if your trifix was different, you might be more willing to impose yourself or be less. Sensitive. Yes, yes, yes. For, yeah. If yeah. there would be an eight in it or yeah, yeah. Uh, but seven, eight, seven, two. Yeah. But you're saying in the same, in this, there's a kind of reciprocal to, so there are parts of your therapy profession that don't fit the image but at the same time being a therapist. Um, outside in the world, you know, is its own image. And right. Um, and you touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious about like, have you found yourself accidentally in situations where you find yourself slipping into therapy mode before it's wanted or, or you find yourself offering it to people kind of accidentally? Yes, all the yeah. time. <laughs> by the way, I, um, I relate to that actually myself as a, as a coach but it's all yeah. the three, well, anyway, the, but yeah, I'm curious from the two point of view. The, the thing is, um, there were times where I was quite desperate about this because 
it is you might you might say it's therapy mode but to me it feels like i'm following the flow i'm following the interest here yeah you know <laughs> you tell me something and then i want to know precisely what you mean and the first question to for, towards this precision could also could already be construed as therapy mode just That's because i was interested you yeah. know yeah and um the what's probably a good way to protect myself and others from that is to is to check whether the person's own awareness is broad enough right now to carry the the topic that we're talking about mm-hmm. so you could yeah. probably ask me like you are doing now you you ask me uh about things that are quite deep but my awareness is broad enough to hold it so yeah. you you don't have to be afraid that i fall apart while you follow your interest yeah and there's obviously a receptivity to those questions in this context exactly so, yeah. yes yes the and the context is all yeah the, the the context has already set the mm-hmm. the um, the boundaries and the the purpose of why why we are talking about this yeah. and this kind of orientation is already you know it's also it's it's reassuring yeah. and in a party context this this is different you, we you know we have not set those purposes and boundaries right. and then this can this can uh derail a conversation or something. Right. 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 Yeah. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about or touched on with the two that you want to bring up? Hmm. I still feel, feel some juice about this thing that, um, that I mentioned before. Uh, that the twos are honest but unaware of what's what's beyond this idea of love. Okay. And because I relate to the experience of being accused of of manipulating. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I recall a time at which I. Mm, I made a really thoughtful birthday present to a woman that I was interested in and she had kept her distance and um and when I had found the idea of what I would like to to give to her I I felt this kind of intoxication and I I felt this oh shit yeah great I I found it you know now I got her now now I, she she won't be she won't have any choice but to <laughs> open her legs and her heart and <laughs> you know <laughs> and and it you know it's so it's so crazy to to remember how convinced i was of the lovingness of this yeah and then i gave the presence to her and at first she was delighted and then she noticed uh shit something feels off and 
what I got to understand, not right away, at first I was just, uh, I was just hurt and, and embarrassed and all that. And I, what I understood was that the reason this feels terrible to people or can feel terrible to people is that I give so much love into the relationship and force the other person into a position where for reciprocity to occur, this person would have to do the same. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. maybe the other person isn't ready to do that for whatever reason. Yeah. So me not taking care or not being aware of this kind of imbalance yeah. puts the other person on the spot and that doesn't feel good generally. Right. It's a pressure. Yes, okay? pressure, yeah. Mm -hmm. And from within the type two structure, this pressure feels like security. The pressure that you're putting or the pressure that they feel? That the they feel. Because, you know, without uh -huh. the awareness, without without imagining, okay, how would I like to be pressured into reciprocating? Uh -huh. Without that awareness, this feels like, okay, now I got something on you. It feels like leverage. Wow, that's amazing. This is, I mean, this okay. is the two line to eight, you might say. Exactly. Or, yeah, this exactly. is amazing. Uh -huh. Yes. And I will never... I mean, within the type structure, you it, it would be difficult to impossible to to conceptualize this as leverage because leverage is the opposite of being loving. That doesn't work, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. As an eight, you might be able to to sell that to yourself because yeah. you're the boss and you you know what you're doing and you know. Uh, but but as a two, this you have to hide that from yourself. Yes. But you do it anyway because it feels like the only thing that guarantees that people stick around. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because if we could recall, the two does not believe in real love and connection to carry such an interaction. Uh -huh. So we have to offer something. Yeah. And and this offering needs to lead to an experience of I have to reciprocate so that it works. Yeah. Okay. And this interaction and this, this mechanism is not conscious. And that's why twos are honest when they say they do it out of selfless reasons. And at the same time, I think in our initial conversation, I told you how creepy twos can seem to me. <laughs> and yeah. they seem creepy because of this. They they right. seem creepy because they put yeah. you in this position where they have leverage on you and they don't even admit to it. And you have to find this out for yourself so you can actually name it and say, I do not want this. Mm -hmm. I want a reciprocal re relationship in which we follow the flow of what occurs naturally. And not because there is an idea of how this should go and how this should be, where I, as the counterpart, I play a role that you have assigned me. Mm -hmm. I do not want that. That is yeah. what's creepy about twos. It's a yes. This is super vivid and um, high resolution. How you're describing this, and it really, 
I mean, for me, <clears throat> excuse me, it brings up the point or the question around what it really takes for a two to see this or what it, you know, the, the sequence of inner work or development for a two feels like you have to, I mean, just, just having this put in your face, like if someone, if someone were to name it, be like, Hey, I see this, you're doing this, you know, or I don't feel comfortable here that it's like, there's no place for that to exist in the two psyche unless exactly, they yes. cultivate enough capacity to see themselves that it can land somewhere, yeah. you know? Yes. Um, yes. And that's fascinating to me. And so yeah. I, from the point of view of inner work or like the first, the first leverage points in its, in a two's inner work, um, I guess it just, it brings up a question for me, like what, what do you do <laughs> or how to, what, what motivates it to, to do inner work and, um, and what, are the, what's that, what's that first piece that gets, I don't know, awakened or something like that. Well, this experience that I just related was, um, this woman was important enough to me and still is that I had to figure this out. Yeah, you had to figure it I out. Had, yeah. I had to figure out why she reacted this way and why this didn't work. So the question arose in you, why didn't this work? Why didn't this work? And yeah. and at this point I didn't know about the two yet, but when uh -huh. I when I discovered it, I I recalled that this fit perfectly uh -huh. into what the two type two structure does. Yeah. And, but she was, she was, she has been uh, both nourishing my heart. She kind of went behind the membrane. Okay. Um, because she is, she is so transparent to me that I can feel her heart almost instantly. Okay. And that, that, uh, that is, that is an incentive, you know, yeah, to, right. Yeah. It's very attractive. How get I, how get I to connect with that? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and she gave me constantly feedback when I was off. She rejected everything that didn't come from here. Wow. That's amazing. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. And you can imagine how painful that was at times. I can only imagine. Yeah. She withdrew sometimes and she was not available and she didn't explain things to me mm -hmm. because she had her own issues. And, uh, but she rejected everything that didn't come from here mm -hmm. and stayed interested anyway. That's, that's like a major statement that you just made right there. And she stayed interested anyway. And she stayed interested, yes. Yeah. Wow. And I stayed interested too. Uh, I think I have a lot to thank for uh, in this relationship that, that helped me bring this out. Wow. And, uh, wow. and it looked at times to be fruitless and hopeless. And, you know, why do I care anymore? But, but 
this point of who am I here and why does she get behind the membrane and what is she referring to when she rejects something and when she accepts something? That's what I wanted to figure out. Right. And yeah. Because there was so much juice and vitality to it. Mm-hmm. So, so that was the incentive. And then, I mean, I have my different tools that I mentioned. I have my own psychotherapy and I, I, um, you know, I could also figure out the 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 relationship between what's happening here and what happened with my parents and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but but I think at a certain point, of course, like you just implied, this kind of confrontation would have been too much. Mm-hmm. You know, I I because. The, the whole self-image is rests upon this idea of if I am loving enough, mm-hmm. eventually the thing I need will come about. Right. And if you take that away from me, then there's just only hopelessness left. Right, right. And that's unacceptable, of course. Yeah. 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 Even if I were to recognize this to be true, I wouldn't be able to live with it. So at, at a certain stage of my development, this would have been the case. Right. And then if somebody would have said that to me, I might have um, left and dismissed the person in some mm-hmm. way, you know. Yeah. Um, this is amazing. This conversation is really, really amazing. It's clarified so much for me in terms of the two. And um, yeah, I find your language around the stuff to be so accessible. Um, so I just really appreciate thank you. It. Yeah. Thank you. Um, what's this like for you? What or what has this been like for you to have this conversation? Juicy, because I feel the two of us have been in the same space of exploration and excitement, and I notice um, the difference between the recording and how we do it privately is yeah. is is very well framed with the vigilance. I feel that too. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that is always something that I need to be aware of when I do something publicly so mm-hmm. I can still stay centered. Yeah. And, uh, but it's fun. It's great. It's on the edge of what I'm exploring myself. And uh, I'm grateful for your questions and uh, being able to make this contribution. Cool. Well, thanks again for doing this. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to release this and have people learn from it. Yes, me too.